Thank you. Actually, that's a very good reminder. Okay. I'm so glad you guys are here. Have a wonderful turnout. A father wanted to read the paper, but was being bothered by his little daughter, Susie. Finally, you can't hear me? Janelle can't hear me. Janelle, is that better? Is it better? Can you hear me back there? Go like this if you can. Can't hear me. Okay. I have to talk louder? <laughs> That's why they gave me this thing. They keep telling me I don't talk loud enough. Okay. <laughs> we'll get this thing straight soon enough. Nope, it's still going. Hello. You sure you don't want to, is that, is that okay? Can you hear me now? Bethy, you can't hear me? Thank you. Can you hear me now? Okay, we can get started again. A father wanted to read the paper but was being bothered by his little daughter, Susie. Finally, he took a sheet out of his magazine on which was printed the map of the world. Tearing it into small pieces, he gave it to Susie and said, go into the other room and see if you can put this together. After a few minutes, Susie returned and handed him the map, correctly fitted together. Father was very surprised and asked how she had finished so quickly. Oh, she said, on the other side of the paper is a picture of Jesus. When I got Jesus in his place, then the world came out all right. That's sweet. That's so sweet. Welcome, ladies, to our Bible study. This year, we'll be studying five books. Ephesians, Haggai, and Obadiah in the first semester, O-B-A-D-I-A-H. Mark and Lamentations in the second semester. Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. And those Christians would circulate it among the churches in the Roman province of Asia Minor, which is modern Turkey. Ephesus, the capital city, was best known for its magnificent temple of Artemis, or Diana, to the Romans, which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was an important port of trade, an important political and educational center, and one of the wealthiest cities in the Mediterranean world, ranking with Alexandria in Egypt. Paul had sailed to Ephesus from Corinth toward the end of his second missionary journey. In Corinth, he met a couple named Aquila and Priscilla, who were tent makers like himself. He stayed with them and worked with them while they were in Corinth. The two accompanied him as he continued traveling, and when they came to Ephesus, Paul left them there, promising he would return if God willed. He then traveled up to Jerusalem to fulfill a Nazarite vow and down to Antioch, where he spent some time. These events are recorded in Acts chapter 18 and ended his second missionary journey. On his third missionary journey, 
Paul got the chance to touch back with many of the churches he'd established on his first two trips. The church in Ephesus was begun by Aquila and Priscilla, but was firmly established when Paul returned. That's Acts 19. He stayed three years before continuing extended travel to reach Jerusalem by Pentecost. That's Acts 20, 16. Paul reached Jerusalem presumably before Pentecost. That's Acts 21, 17. And his third missionary journey came to an end. While in Jerusalem, the Jews became furious with Paul when he was teaching about the Lord. He was put under protective custody by the commander of the Roman military and spent several years in the barracks without his situation being resolved. He finally decided as a Roman citizen to appeal his case to Caesar, who was in Rome. That's Acts chapter 21 through 26. Acts 28.16 says, when we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. So during his first imprisonment, Paul was allowed to live under guard in his own rented quarters somewhere in Rome. It was during this time that Paul wrote Colossians, which we studied last year, Philemon, Philippians, and Ephesians. Paul had a lot of freedom. He was allowed to have visitors and write letters and thereby communicate freely. In Ephesians, Paul did not address a particular problem or situation as he had in other letters. One of the reasons it is believed to be a circular letter. It is an exposition of one of the most important statements Jesus ever made during his early ministry. Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. The church is the subject of Ephesians. Paul discusses what the church is, how the church functions, how we function in the church, and the riches of the church, the body of Christ. Because we are in Christ and in his church, all riches accrue to us. John MacArthur tells a story of an American lady who died in 1916. Her name was Hetty Green. She was called America's greatest miser. When she died, she left an estate valued at $100 million. But Hetty was so miserly that she said she ate cold oatmeal because it was too expensive to heat the water to warm it. Her son had a severe leg injury. Treatment was delayed while she tried to find a free clinic to treat it. She delayed so long the leg had to be amputated. John MacArthur correctly states, that's really not understanding how to use your resources. Understatement. He goes on. Now the book of Ephesians is written to Christians like that. You say, well, what do you mean? What kind of Christians is like that? The kind of Christian who doesn't understand the riches he has in Christ. The kind of Christian who wanders through life with a case of spiritual malnutrition who doesn't know where the feast is. The kind of Christian who doesn't know how to tap his resources, maybe because he doesn't know what they are and so he never really finds out how rich he is. That is the book of Ephesians. It's a book about riches. 
It's a book about fullnesses. It's a book about being filled with things. It's a book about inheritance. It's a book that just tells us what we own in Christ. Some have called it the treasure house of the Bible. Ephesians will teach you who you are, how rich you are, and how you are to use those riches for God's glory. Chapter one talks about the riches of his glory. Chapter one talks about the riches of his grace. Chapter three, the unsearchable riches of Christ and the riches of his glory. How we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Chapter four, the fullness of Christ. Chapter five, the fullness of the spirit. Paul frequently references the church as a mystery, which is a divine secret, previously unknown, but now revealed. Chapter one, verses eight through nine in the New Century Version. God, with full wisdom and understanding, let us know his secret purpose. That was what God wanted, and he planned to do it through Christ. Chapter three, verses three and four. He let me know his secret by showing it to me. I have already written a little about this. If you read what I wrote then, you can see that I truly understand the secret about Christ. Verse six, this is that secret, that through the good news, those who are not Jews will share with the Jews in God's blessing. They belong to the same body and they share together in the promise that God made in Jesus Christ. He emphasizes the church as Christ's body in which both Jewish and Gentile believers are one, promoting unity in the church. More than one sixth of Paul's references to love in his 13 epistles occur in Ephesians. He encourages us to love both God and our fellow saints more deeply. In addition, Ephesians emphasizes God's action in planning, decreeing, and providing salvation, the importance of living out one's faith consistently and spiritual warfare. It is one of the most well-loved of Paul's epistles because it is both very important doctrinally and extremely practical. The first three chapters are theological, emphasizing New Testament doctrine. The last three deal with the practical application of how we are to live Indeed, we have a lot to learn. Last semester, in addition to Colossians, we also studied the books of Zechariah and Malachi, who along with Haggai are post-exile minor prophets. Their writings are the last three books of the Old Testament. Minor prophets doesn't mean that they are less important prophets. It just means that their books are shorter. Haggai is the second shortest book in the Old Testament Obadiah is the shortest. Haggai refers to him as himself as simply the prophet Haggai. We know nothing about his parents, ancestors, or tribal origin. His name apparently means festal, or possibly feast of Yahweh. An appropriate name since, like Zechariah, much of what he prophesied deals with millennial blessings. Second Chronicles 36, 15 through 17 in the New Century Version. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent prophets again and again to warn his people because he had pity on them and on his temple. 
but they made fun of God's prophets and hated God's messages. They refused to listen to the prophets until finally the Lord became so angry with them that he could not be stopped. So God brought the king of Babylon to attack them. God used Babylon as his agent of judgment against Israel for the sins of idolatry and rebellion against him. There were actually several, several different times during this period, 607 to 586 BC, when the Jews were taken captive by Babylon. In 586 BC, Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the city of Jerusalem, including Solomon's temple, and took most of the Jews captive to Babylon. He also took all the things from the temple of God, both large and small. As prophesied in scripture, the Jewish people would be allowed to return to Jerusalem after 70 years of exile. That prophecy was fulfilled when the Babylonian Empire fell to King Cyrus of Persia, and he sent an announcement that the Jewish people were free to return to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. Second Chronicles 36.23. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Now may the Lord your God be with all of you who are his people. You are free to go to Jerusalem. This was the time of reconstruction. In 538 BC, Cyrus the Persian freed the captives of Israel to resettle their homeland. And about 50,000 returned from Babylon with Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest. The rebuilding of the temple began immediately on their return. The temple base was laid, and then they abandoned the work because of opposition from neighbors and indifference from within. So God raised up Haggai and Zechariah to get the people going again on the rebuilding of the temple. Two different ministries, same message. Haggai was blunt, straightforward, and rebuked them. Zechariah gave the same message, but he was encouraging by emphasizing the coming of Messiah, revealing God's plan for their future. Haggai began his ministry in 520 BC, about two months before Zechariah and about 90 years before Malachi. They all prophesied to Judah. Haggai's purpose was simple and clear. It was to motivate the Jews to build the temple, which they were neglecting. It was important to finish the temple because only then could the people fully resume Levitical worship as the Lord had specified. They had gone into captivity for covenant unfaithfulness, so they needed to return to full obedience to the Mosaic covenant. Haggai had four messages for the people, dealing with one of four perils misplaced priority, incorrect perspective, unrealistic expectation, and unnecessary fear. He teaches us that whenever God's people face problems involving fulfilling his will, we should do our duty as the word of God reveals it with the assurance that when we do, God himself will provide all that we need to succeed. It was a message of hope as a result, the temple was completed four years later in 516 BC. That's Ezra 615. Obadiah, 
means servant of Yahweh or worshiper of Yahweh. Exactly who Obadiah was remains a mystery. Since we don't know who he was, it is difficult to date this book and determine where it came from. He frequently mentions Jerusalem, Judah, and Zion, suggesting he belonged to the southern kingdom. Again, Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament, one chapter. Verse 1 says, the vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and an envoy has been sent among the nations, saying, arise and let us go against her for battle. Edom was an ancient people group that inhabited the land south of Judah and the Dead Sea. The Edomites, also called Edomians, descended from Esau, the twin brother of Jacob, Genesis 36.1, both sons and grandsons of Isaac and Abraham. Despite their shared ancestry, the Edomites and Israelites lived in almost perpetual conflict. One was that Edom refused to allow the Israelites to pass through their territory en route to the Promised Land. That's Numbers 11, 14 through 17. They were full of pride. They were violent against Israel. They rejoiced over Jerusalem's destruction. They plundered the city. They had a lot to answer for. A prominent, a prominent city in Edom was Petra. In the 5th century BC, a people called the Nabataeans defeated the Edomites and re removed them from Petra. The Edomites were forced to move south of Israel in an area that would become known as Idumea. Interestingly, in the New Testament, Herod the Great, who commanded the murder of all boys two years old and younger in Bethlehem, that's Matthew 2, is thought to be an Edomian. The focus of the entire book is Edom's destruction as God meted out his judgment on a historically rebellious people. In his dealings with Edom, God kept his promise to his people. Whoever curses you, I will curse. Genesis 12, 3. That's scary. In our second semester, we will be studying the book of Mark, 12 lessons, and finally, three lessons in the book of Lamentations. This promises to be a wonderful year learning from God's word and enjoying our fellowship as we have for such a long time. I love when we have our opening coffee and folks who haven't seen each other in such a long time over the summer come together and all of a sudden, oh, hi, how are you? I haven't seen you in a long time. Oh, my goodness, give me a hug. What you been doing? It's just, it's just grand. I mean, it's just such a blessing. It's so good to be back. Let's pray. Oh, dear precious Father, we just thank you, Lord, that we live in a country where we can come together like that where we can study your word and we can just share together learning your word, Father, enjoying our fellowship and, Lord, enjoying you. And, Father, we just pray in this year as we are learning so many important things that you're teaching us, Lord, that we would be faithful in our commitment and that we would grow spiritually, Lord, and that we would be so committed in our lives 
to becoming more like you, Lord, that we would be honoring to you. And we just thank you and praise you in all that you do for your mercy and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Ladies, um,